Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody Hello and welcome to Campfires and Color Wars, a podcast about summer camps and the stories we love to tell about them. Like the time every Friday we played staff versus campers in dodgeball, and we looked forward to it all week because we got to throw the ball as hard as we could at all of the campers we didn't like. I'm Micah Hart, and for the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to press pause in the world around us and transport back to the days of our adolescence when the school year was just one long rest hour between days at camp. If you have a camp memory you'd like to have featured at the top of the show, you can email us your short stories at summercamppod at gmail.com. And uh, we always ask, uh, if you're enjoying the show, to give us a, a rating or a review on iTunes so we can continue to reach as many campers as possible. Uh, and uh, with that, I would like to welcome my uh, guests for this evening, Jure Action, uh, who listeners to this podcast I doubt will know, but they sort of should because she's kind of the shadow producer of the podcast. Uh, Jure is a, uh, not, works in the nonprofit world in Chicago, but welcome, Jure. Hi, Micah. Hi, Jure. <laughs> uh, this is really exciting for me, I have to say, having you on microphone with me, because uh, you and I have a, a, have a long history together, um, and it, it has never included uh, any kind of broadcast initiative, and I only say that because one time Jure came to visit me in Atlanta, and I was doing uh, play-by-play of Emory women's volleyball. This was back in the old days... Uh, the, the good old days of the internet, uh, when you could listen to things, uh, anything on the internet, uh, over internet radio, uh, but it was not actually on the internet, it was a phone thing, you had to call in and listen by phone, so there's a lot of hoops you had to jump through to listen to Emory Women's Volleyball, which meant it was really just like a couple of parents, and Jure wouldn't even do that, she w- even though she played volleyball and knows, you know, knows the sport inside and out, couldn't get her to do it. But uh, I love that, uh, that you were able to, to, uh, to join me tonight. So thank you, Jure, for joining us. And, and for those that don't know, Jure actually is incredibly helpful uh, behind the scenes of the podcast. So very much appreciate I her. I you were going to bring that story up, Micah. It's disappointing. I'm just going to say I'm disappointed in you for embarrassing me <laughs> within the first five minutes of the show. You're like, this is exactly why I wasn't going to do the Emory Women's Volleyball. Exactly. Uh, and uh, no, I'm very happy to have Jure on. Um, and also Daniel Kaufman, um, who runs the Third Plateau Foundation. Is it a foundation? Did I get that part it wrong? It's not. It's, it's just the Third Plateau. Just the Third Plateau. Daniel and I go way back as well. We were uh, super nerds, uh, a.k.a. presidents of our youth group regions uh, back in high school. And we actually met at a uh, national youth convention when we were in 10th grade. So this is this is a bit of a reunion for us. Uh, this is a lot, of, a lot of fun to have you. Um, but I wanted to have both of you on because uh, you both went to Camp Newman out in California, uh, which if you have listened to the last couple episodes, you may have heard me mention, um, is the camp that was uh, destroyed. Was it destroyed, mostly destroyed, partially destroyed? I would say like mostly, mostly destroyed. Yeah, enough. It got it good enough. Um, but uh, Camp Newman uh, was devastated by the wildfires in Northern California uh, in the last uh, month or two. Um, and so I uh, just thought it would be really interesting to hear from a couple of people who went there. And since, since you're both my friends, uh, I thought it would be fun to, to catch up and, and talk a little bit about that. Um, just because I, I cannot imagine what that is like. I mean, we're obviously old enough now that 
we don't well I, I guess i shouldn't make any assumptions about going back to camp or not uh because some people have skills or professions or uh the ability to take off of work enough time to still go back and contribute to their camps um but for me camp really just lives in my memories uh and the thought of the, the that place and the buildings and the paths you know all the things that you think of that that take you to that emotional place just sort of being devastated um, I wanted to bring up all the uh, all the unhappy, painful uh, experiences you've been having the last couple months. So, no, um, yeah, what uh, what was it like when you found out what was going on at Camp Newman? It was, you know, the the fires happened so quickly that it basically was uh, camp might be threatened, camp is burned down. Like it was boom, boom. It was not there was like very little time to sort of worry about it or be concerned about it. Um, I will say that very short period was fairly nerve wracking and emotional. Um, and then when it happened, I think it just, you know, I think it sort of leveled the community at first. I think it was really, really, it's a, it was a pretty difficult thing to process, I think for the community. Um, but I do think it's created an opportunity for, especially for the alumni to connect and come together, share memories and, it, it definitely, um, I think it, it brought into focus this notion that camp is more than a place. I felt the same way that it happened so fast. I remember that I, I heard about the fires. I shot an email to the camp director just saying, thinking of you, hope everybody is safe. And literally maybe an hour later, the email came out that camp had burnt down. Like it was so, it was so fast. And I know I got to it late. I'm also, I'm not on social media. So I didn't see here a lot of the camp community piece. And in Chicago, there's not a lot of Camp Newman alum. So there was definitely this like sinking feeling and this like pit in my stomach of like how awful it was to think about this, this space and the place um, and not really have a network to really talk that through and discuss with. But um, I went, I used Facebook for the first time in like six years and went on to the Camp Newman page and read everything. And like Daniel said, it was really this beautiful thing about people bringing up memories and um, community and, and getting together in spaces and doing live um, song sessions together to celebrate camp and to celebrate that it is a community and it is a, it is memories and it is not specific to one location, which is really lovely to see. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it, it is, you know, it's funny. I think about living in Atlanta just as an example and people are like, you know, how do you like living in Atlanta? And I always say, like, Atlanta's fine. It's a city like any city. What I like about Atlanta is the people that I know here. Um, camp is way better than Atlanta, but it is still ultimately about the people that you form bonds with and the relationships that you have. And so, you know, yeah, you're, you know, Camp Newman is stronger than the physical space, um, but certainly uh, very sad that, uh, that it's gone through this. Has this always been a threat? I mean, if you are in California anywhere, are you sort of in danger of uh, of wildfires? Yeah, I mean, I think I think yes, absolutely. Um, I think it is a concern in Northern California and specifically in the mountains where Cam Newman is. Um, and I say is because I think you know there is a significant community effort to rebuild there. I think it'll be a different place, but I think uh, you know that that location. I'm, I'm still very, very hopeful that it will be rebuilt there. Um, 
The other thing I should just note, Mike, as like background to this, because I, I think it does, it shapes at least how I think about Camp Newman, is I actually didn't grow up going to Camp Newman. I ended, I grew up going to a place called Camp Swig, which is in the Saratoga Mountains, uh, or in Saratoga in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And that camp was literally built on the San Andreas fault line. And so when it when it hit a point where they needed to rebuild and build the infrastructure, it was like so wildly expensive to do it that it was cost prohibitive and they had to relocate. And so all of my childhood camp memories are actually at Camp Swig. And then they rebuilt, they, they sort of built this new camp at in Santa Rosa at Camp Newman. And that was where, that was basically where I spent my, you know, camp counselor life. Um, so I have a ton of great memories at Camp Newman, but I already sort of experienced this loss of place when the camp moved from Swig to Newman. It's just so interesting. I didn't really think about it that way um, because Dan and I, you worked there longer than I did, I think, but we worked as counselors the first two summers Newman was open after Swig was still open our first year and then they switched everything over, maybe even our second year. But I yeah. also did not grow up at Newman. I, you know, I hopped around to lots of different camps and I was at Jacobs with Micah. I was at Kutz with a lot of our other friends and then landed at Newman to work. So all my memories from Newman are, you know, not adult because we weren't adult, but we're, our counts are staff memories. It's really different. Um, yeah, we were and, definitely not adults. No, definitely not adults. And, <laughs> and place and space and, um, and community feels different because of that. Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because one of the questions I had was, the, what is the difference between Swig and Newman? Uh, because I've been to Swig, uh, not as a camper, but uh, I don't know, one time we were in California, my dad probably was like, hey, let's go check out one of the other camps because uh, it's a sister camp to Jacobs and, and to Gucci. Um, I guess I thought they were sister camps. I don't think I realized that one was the offshoot of the other. I thought they both existed and then maybe there was like a hostile takeover uh, of some kind, or they had like a big Machanayim game, uh, and that was how I didn't realize that uh, that one uh, became the other. So, so that's a but that brings up to me, I think, a really interesting question: What was the difference, Daniel, between Swig and Newman? Was there a difference? Was there a difference because of the physical difference, or did it feel like the same, just moving from one place to another? So there was, there's the answer of like when I was 19 years old and experienced that. And then there's the answer now. So at 19 years old, there was an enormous difference, right? It was like Swig was this beautiful, magical place that had all of these amazing memories of, you know, it's like where I met some of my best friends, had some of the best times I ever had. And then I went to go work at this like totally sanitized version of that that had no memories and, you know, that everything was just smaller in size, right? The Redwoods hadn't been, hadn't grown. It wasn't, it just, it didn't match up. And there was like this real cultural shift, sort of cultural um, tension, I think, between like the people who grew up at Swig and then went to go work at Newman versus the people who grew up at Newman and then sort of continued on there. And there, this, it like really continued, I think for a number of years. And I remember the camp leadership saying over and over, like, this is just, basically, this is just a phase. And it felt so patronizing. It's like, what are you talking about? This is just a phase. Like, how dare you, how dare you minimize the experience that I had at SWIG? And 
the reality, I think, looking back on it, really so many of my best memories from camp, and even, you know, as I was thinking about coming on to this, to this podcast, so many of the memories that I thought of actually came from the time that I was at Newman. Um, and I think, you know, I, my daughter went to Newman for the first time last summer and going back there and visiting, it was this magical place. It was this place that had like so many memories built into the place. So I, you know, that has definitely evolved over time for me. Well, one thing that's, that I've, I've talked about with people a lot, uh, my dad has a famous, uh, (laughs) for people that know him at least, uh, famous saying that uh, change is neither good nor bad. Change is just change. And I think I re- that really hit home to me as a lesson at camp because people hate change. And anytime something would change at camp, the older people who had sort of had it as whatever the tradition was that they were changing would freak out and be so angry. How dare you do this? Whatever this is. But camp is a constant cycle. And so the kid that comes for their first summer at camp when they're, you know, in third grade or whatever, they don't know what history is. Whatever they get is new to them. And so things can change at camp very quickly. And things that seem like 30-year traditions can be gone really in a summer or two for no other reason than just it's a constant re- uh, infusion of you know of new blood of new life, um, so I can imagine in that scenario uh, definitely it being some people being like this is not the same or whatever, but then within a year or two everything being like no this is how things are here and how they've always been to us. Totally, it's funny to think about like a set of like crazy progressive Jews at camp being some of the most conservative people you've ever met. <laughs> Now, Dre, you ended up at Newman as a counselor. You were not there yeah. as a camper. And Correct. what what got you to Camp Newman? It's like a long roundabout story, but it's... Um... I've got time. Okay, good. Um, no, I went to Kutz for summer, which is another sister camp to the Caldies camps that we're talking about, part of the reform movement's camping programs. Um, and it's a leadership camp. And I went to Kutz and I met all these people from California who I became really good friends with. Um, and then we saw each other again a couple of times at um, something called Nifty Convention, uh, which is a national youth group program that brings all high schoolers together in one city at one time, and which is like a crazy, amazing experience. Um, actually, I think, Daniel, that's where you and I actually first met was at Nifty Convention uh, in 1997 to date ourselves. Yes. Um, well, that's and, funny because Daniel and I were roommates at Nifty Convention in 1995, and that's when we first met. That's awesome. Um, so it is a small world. So we, so I had all these friends in California. And so when it came time, like we, we had aged out of being campers and I actually applied to be a counselor at Jacobs. Um, but your dad rejected me. What? (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Hold on. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I I remember getting a call from Macy. I don't think I'm, I'm confusing this. Remember getting a call from Macy saying that it was a really big class and everyone else had gone to camp for seven summers and I hadn't gone to camp for all that long. And so I, they just didn't have room for me to be a counselor. And so I called a friend of mine that I knew from Kutz who lived in California. And she said, so why would you go to Mississippi in the summer anyway? Come to Northern California. And so I called Camp Newman and got a job at Camp Newman. That, that is fascinating. I did not know that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think, I mean, 
We definitely, so we Maybe had, he just discouraged me from applying. Maybe I didn't actually apply, but there was some conversation I had with Macy that was A, very scary, and B, very sad. <laughs> well, we and did. Because I know you listen. We did have <laughs> a large age group at camp. And so there were summers where we had like really swollen staffs because there were a lot of people there. Um, but it's just funny to imagine that because usually most summers my dad has to like hit the pavement to like every college in the country to get people to do exactly what you just said, come spend a summer in the sweltering heat of Mississippi um, as a Jew, no less. So it worked out well for me. I got to spend multiple summers in in Northern California. I went to San Francisco for the first time. I remember going to Berkeley for the first time and being like, you know, this 18 year old from Louisiana going to Berkeley for the first time was just like the most eye opening experience of my life um, and a little bit frightening. Um, That's not what Baton Rouge looks like. A little different, just slightly. It was for an Indigo Girls concert, too, so, like, add that layer on. It was really spectacular. Um, (laughs) And then, um, and look, I ended up living and working in San Francisco after college because of it. So it worked out really well for me. An Indigo Girls concert, that's like every girls' cabin to me. Every night is essentially an Indigo Girls concert. Yeah, well, I got to see it live, (laughs) not only in our cabin, but also at the um, Greek Amphitheater at Berkeley. So tell, give us a little bit of uh, background. What, what, what's, a, what's a day at Newman like? What was, what was the experience like uh, growing up? What years did you go? Uh, how, uh, what was the difference between being on a, a camper and being on staff? So when did I start? I was trying to figure out when I started going to Camp Swig. I think I probably went to Camp Swig in like 1988, something like that. And then went through, I don't know, 1995 something like so yeah i think about 1995 and then went back when i went to college so 97 so yeah every morning there was you know the the start with some counselors standing up in front of everybody while we were waiting in line to get breakfast screaming trying to get people excited and i fully could not understand why we were doing this why this was necessary to to start with that kind of enthusiasm when even then i was not not a morning person um and then days you know, the rest of the day was like art, something, some art, something, some Jewish program, something. And then like, I feel like there was an inordinate amount of time where we had to like clean ourselves, clean our cabins, like do things, like things that were not like, when I'm looking back, I'm like, wait, that was like, how we spent how much time doing that? <laughs> but what I really remember most of my time was just like hanging out with people, having a lot of fun. And I don't know how much of that's like been um, like like those memories are really baked in versus they've been completely corrupted by like the pop culture sense of what some, like Jewish summer camp is like what happened Wet Hot American Summer totally screwed me up. I'm like, wait, is that a plot in the movie or did that happen for real life? I, I can't really remember. Dre, you, you've been to a few different camps. Like what, what were some of the differences you saw between uh, between Newman and, and, and Kutz or, or Jacobs? The only, the biggest difference I remember between the two is just like the personalities. Like, so you've talked about on the podcast before, Mike, about how, how goody goody Jacobs is. And it's so true. The minute I went to Kutz, it's like, there was like a whole nother world of like, you know, boys and girls fraternizing each other at a whole different level. And then at Newman, it was like even more so. And there was just like people running off into the woods and like, you were never in your cabin. And like, none of that ever happened to Jacobs. And Jacobs was like, fear of God was like existed about like what you could and couldn't do. So that's what I remember the most being different. It was just like 
what people were willing to do and the risk they were willing to take, if you could even call it risk, and like how people reacted to rules. In fact, in like mostly they didn't follow them ever unless they went to Jacobs. Yeah. Uh, side note, um, I'm listening to a podcast um, called, I think it's called Heaven's Gate, um, but it's all about the cult Heaven's Gate and, uh, mm-hmm. and sort of the journey and the guy who hosts it grew up in a cult, not in Heaven's Gate, but in a, in a different kind of cult. And listening to it, like I just, I was just thinking about because I've I've often said that uh, Jacobs in particular was a very benevolent cult. Um, I think summer camps in general, there's some cultish elements to a lot of them. Absolutely, maybe sure. it was more pronounced at Jacobs uh, than at others. Um, but uh, but just sort of the notion of like we really would have done. I mean, anything we were told to do. Uh, and, and it was, I mean, it was never a bad thing. Like we were never made to make like poor decisions that we would regret for a lifetime later. Um, like you would perhaps in heaven's gate or some of the others. Um, but that sort of devotion and just like blind trust that these people have our best interests in mind, um, is, is, I I wouldn't say it's scary necessarily, but it's interesting to ponder. (laughs) And, and there's, also, there's a, also a piece of that. There's a piece of it as well of like the hierarchical structure of camp, where you have like CITs. Well, first of all, just like older kids, you know, being in the same camp and then sort of being seen as like the cool kids and like really, really cool kids. And then you've got the CITs that it's like this like secret society that you're allowed into. And there's like this worship, this cult worship. And then you have your counselors, which like take it to a whole other level. Those people are in like this state that you just absolutely want to, you know, impress, believe everything they're going to say. They tell you anything they want to tell you and you're in. And the reality is like looking back on it, I'm not sure I've ever sort of admired anybody in any kind of position as blindly as I did as a counselor. Like they were amazing. They could do no wrong. And I'm sure they did a lot of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did as counselors, so there's no doubt. Absolutely. There, yeah, there really aren't only a couple of instances that I can think of where I had counselors that, like, I absolutely knew were fucking up. Uh, and some of that might be because I was the camp director's kid. We had a counselor when I was, I want to say, going into seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, uh, who taught us what a pearl necklace was. And... I was, we were yeah, pretty that's, sure. That, that, all right, <laughs> we were pretty sure that not that was uh, that that was not necessary. <laughs> all right, so Micah, when I was I was probably twelve, eleven, maybe ten. I'm gonna go ten. I had two counselors and a CIT for one cabin time. They did a full blown performance of the three of them doing "She Talks to Angels," the Black Black Crow song. Which I'm pretty sure I went to bed thinking was the coolest thing I've ever seen ever in my entire life. So you decide. Like <laughs> there was clearly some brainwashing going on. <laughs> I had a counselor who was uh, in a uh, acapella troupe at University of Pennsylvania. I bought two of their albums. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was choreographed. I mean, like they. <laughs> Fully danced and sang for like 12 10 year old boys. Yeah, and I, I yeah. totally believe it. You're probably like, these guys are amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, and I they really, I mean, I'll give them credit. They probably were pretty awesome given that they were willing to do that. But, you know, it was it was where my head was at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So this episode is going to drop on uh, on Thanksgiving. Um, and so I thought uh, it would be fun to maybe say some of the things that uh, we are thankful for uh, from our from our times at uh, at camp. Um, and since since this is my idea and I sprung it on you, I will start. So I'll at least give you a, a sense of it. Um, but uh, I was <laughs> when I was thinking about what uh, what am I really thankful for from camp? Um, and the first thing that came to mind for me is ping pong and tetherball, because those are probably the sports that I'm best at in the world, uh, which is really sad. I think probably, but I really only played them at camp and nowhere else. Um, and, uh, tetherball, like I've, I've, I don't know if I've said this on the show or not before, but, uh, I firmly believe that if, if tetherball was an Olympic sport, I could have represented some country, uh, if not the U S then, you know, I probably got some relative from some small, you know, uh, Scandinavian or, or Eastern European country. I could have, uh, I could have sorted out, but, uh, I, Still to this day, whenever I see a tetherball pole at a park, I get so excited, and I can't wait for my kids to be big enough for me to beat the crap out of them and it not be just, like, a given. Um, so uh, so I'm thankful for ping pong and tetherball. Thanks, Camp. When you picture that, Micah, do you picture the tetherball hitting your child in the back of its head? <laughs> That's what happens now. Um, and okay, I right. think it's a character builder. What are you guys thankful for from camp? I'm thankful that I have like some pretty mad Israeli dancing skills because of camp. Um, that I got introduced to itzits, which are pretty much the best treat in the universe. What is that? Um, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's oh my amazing. God, Micah. You know what? It's a total California thing. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It is. Is this like an In-N-Out Burger thing where everybody in California thinks it's great, but everybody else knows it's really not that impressive? No, it's great. It's great. So it's it's a ice cream sandwich, two cookies, ice cream. You can get vanilla, chocolate, cappuccino, and maybe strawberry. Mint. And then the whole thing covered in chocolate. And they were our afternoon snacks on Shabbat at. Good grief! Really, we had like like push up pops or like those gross triangular uh, frozen like juice things. Man. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, half an it's it, but still, we got it's it. Now, this is a camp thing, or this is like a Like, you could go to the convenience store and get this. You can get them at the convenience store in California. Okay. Yeah, but nowhere else. I've searched. Believe me, I've searched. (laughs) That does sound tasty. They're worth taking a trip out to California just for that. (laughs) Come visit. I'll take you out for it. So, the the other things I'm grateful for, I have um, an unbelievable amount of, like, ridiculous icebreakers and games and program ideas for when I'm in awkward social situations or I need something to like um, be able to approach someone. I have a lot of really good ideas on what to do. Uh, I, I feel like whenever that comes up at work, I'm always like, I got this, everybody. Like, don't you worry. We're all going to get to know each other very well in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> or your money I feel like back. this is the secret to, to Third Plateau's success, Dre. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's so funny. Every time I think about you guys, it's actually, um, so Daniel's company led a convening that I was at in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and they ended with like essentially a, closing, a camp closing circle 
where everyone like toasts someone else in the group to thank them for like their contribution or to say like what great things. And I was like, oh my God, I'm sitting at camp right now. This is amazing. So nice work, Third Plateau. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I have to I have to start, Micah, because I'm I will I can't share this podcast unless I unless I start with this. And um, I met my wife at camp, so incredibly thankful for that. Um, I also met my business partner at camp, um, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. So um, both of those things are are sort of on a very, very deep level, incredibly meaningful. In fact, Third Plateau is actually named after a hike that we used to take at, at Camp Swig. Um, you know, other, I mean, other things, like some of the best times I ever had were at camp. And I know that sounds so silly, but you know, just like stupid little things. Like I one, one morning while I was a counselor, uh, you know, people were down at breakfast and a group of like my friends who were also counselors went up and we messed with one of our friends where we took every single thing out of his cabin and set his cabin up right outside of his cabin. Nice. And you know, like this vivid memory of him, like walking up and just thinking this is hilarious. And that dude's my brother-in-law now, you know, like <laughs> there's like, I, there's like so many good things where I was able to like, just have good times with really good people who have continued to be major, major parts of my life. Just to add a, a sentimental one also is that I jokingly say, but it's true that I have like a friend in every port, like no matter where I go, certainly in the States, but also sometimes even abroad, like I have a friend from camp that I can look up and spend time with. And it can be someone I haven't talked to in 10 years or emailed with or texted or anything. And it's just like being back at camp and it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I wrote that one down too. Uh, and, and it's so true. I, and I find that to be the case. I, I mean, I guess it's the case for everybody in a lot of different walks of life. But I find that to be particularly true with my camp friends that time really does move differently f- with camp people because it is like, it may have been 10 years, but it feels like you just saw them, you know, a few days ago and you pick right back up. Another thing that I'm thankful for from camp uh, is uh, power naps. I think that that is uh, a skill that you learn at camp uh, that that is unappreciated. I think uh, a lot of parents out there for sure uh, probably learn how to take power naps, but it probably takes a little time to get to it. But like, if I have five minutes, I can get a nap in in five minutes, all thanks to camp. So I, I appreciate that camp. I got another one. Oh, let's. I hear. got another. This is this is an essential one. Camp gave me the tools to rewrite songs with new lyrics. Oh, yeah. That's something that I did not have before camp, and camp taught me how to do it. It's been essential throughout my life. Oh, my gosh. I'm like a master at that. It's yeah. the best. Yeah. It's a great skill. I totally agree. Uh, I can do it in a very short period of time, uh, and all the lyrics will rhyme. It will sound just like the song, except with different words. Um, we actually... We had Lisa Loeb uh, name drop on uh, on the last uh, episode, and I was asking her because I don't think I could write an original song, and not not just because I'm not talented in that way, because I'm not, but in addition, I'm so conditioned to just write parodies that I can't imagine trying to write something that's not based on some popular you know musical uh, song of some kind. Um, it's all derivative. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's everybody steals from each other. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's move on to our campfires and color questionnaire title still pending. 
a chance to tell a few more stories uh, from our backgrounds. And uh, you can both feel free to weigh in on this. If you don't have one for it, uh, you, you, can, you can beg off, but, uh, but hopefully will. Uh, so number one, tell us about your first kiss or your most romantic camp moment. I'll go with my first kiss. This this may uh, this may may double as a story. We can we can use this on multiple occasions. But uh, I I remember I there was this girl that I really liked at camp, and found out she really liked me. Nice. There's so, there's a piece that's really important to know here, which is I was absolutely the shortest kid at <laughs> camp all growing up until I got to be about like 15. So. This girl was definitely one of the tallest girls at camp. We were at this, we're at like this sort of like end of camp dance. And I make my move, go in for the kiss. We kiss. I have braces. Cut her lip. Create an injury. First kiss. <laughs> it was awesome. Let me tell you. Wow. That's yeah, spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> So there you go. That it's, is impressive. That one's not going away. That one's going with me all the way <laughs> to the end of time. That's really good. Now, were there any witnesses to this? Was this a private moment at I mean, least? It was It was not private enough. Oh, that's amazing. All right, Dre, I feel like I know your answer, but I want to hear you say it in case I'm you, wrong. You do know the answer because my first kiss at camp was Micah B. Hart. Wait, what? It was you. You didn't know that. You were my first kiss at camp. What kind I of kiss? Totally what kind of kiss are we talking about here? I mean, like a peck. Okay. It was my first. Yeah, it wasn't like a like full on because we were like five. We weren't really five. We were like twelve, I think. Okay. Well, that's not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> I really want to know where you were going now. Well, I thought it was okay. So Jure dumped me at camp. <laughs> we we went out for three days the one summer that she was at it was camp. Two. Okay. Uh, two to three days. Uh, she dumped me for uh, for Kevin Price, and I thought Kevin was your first kiss. I thought you were. Am I remembering it wrong? No. It was like that overnight. Remember we went to the overnight yeah. on the other side of the lake? Yeah. I'm pretty sure we did. Well, I'm see, so glad I, it was up for right, you. Well, when I think first kiss, I mean, I think, you know, swapping some, some tongues there. Okay. Well, in that case, yes, it was Kevin. But it was... <laughs> But yeah, it was, I remember, um, no, I remember that it was on the overnight, which is like hilarious that we did an overnight, like literally on the other side of the lake. And the lake was like, it's like very small. Like you could see the cabins, like it was a joke, but it was great. Um, but what I remember most is that all the girls from the cabin, they had like a, a scale of what all the kisses were. So like a peck was an apple, like they had a code and like, and I can't remember all of them, but I remember them. I remember going back after the camp out and then also after Kevin and having this whole conversation about which kind was it? Was it an apple or a peach or a pear? I'm like, I don't know what any of those things are anymore. But I remember there being this like whole code about like what it was and how good it was. Yeah. yeah. I still carry a grudge. <laughs> 20 you, should, you, should have, you should have Kevin on the podcast and just like really have at it. As a matter of fact, Kevin. No, I'm just kidding. I remember uh, when Jure dumped me for Kevin. Uh, they were, they were, they were a hot and heavy item the rest of the summer. And we had a last night, like a friendship circle thing with their cabin and our cabin. And Kevin stood up and said that his, you know, I think it may even have been like bitches, like bitches and roses. Yeah. 
And Kevin's rose was uh, his rose without a thorn, Jeray. What up? And I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kevin, also still a good friend to this day. But uh, yeah, uh, it's funny because uh, my one of the former uh, co-hosts on the show, Sarah Ballin, uh, has this mistaken impression that I was like this suave ladies' man at camp. Um, I mean, I did okay, but... You kind of were. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Kind of. But uh, just like to say, see, you know, they don't, all, they don't all turn out all right. I got totally dumped, but we're still friends. <laughs> Ish, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, number two. Uh, tell us about your best camp performance. So I pre- avoided performances at all costs. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not good at that. This isn't a good question for me. So I remember one summer I decided I wanted to learn how to juggle and I like really went all in on juggling, like all in, like that was how I spent every spare moment. And I remember we had the talent, the, the sort of a talent show toward the end of camp and I ended up doing it there. And I remember feeling really good cause I did it. But looking back, I'm not sure that like the, the cost benefit analysis really works out in my favor on that one. But that that's the moment that I have in my mind. Like, now, I, you, I taught myself how to juggle. Now, are you saying that because you don't think you got the proper appreciation in the talent show, or you're saying that you like knowing how to juggle now, you don't feel like has paid off the way you thought it would? I think the amount of time that I spent while at camp practicing juggling was not appropriately appropriately appreciated at the end of the day. <laughs> and in, in retrospect, I might have been able to do something else with that time. Daniel, you and I really, we're cut from the same cloth. Uh, I also <laughs> I also did that. Um, although I didn't spend, well, I, I did some of that. I did not do it in a talent show, and I did not spend all of the summer. But I had a counselor, because of course you learn everything from your counselors. I had a, ta- a counselor teach me how to teach myself to juggle. And then like the last day of camp for like from then for like three straight weeks, that was like all I did. Um, and I remember like so vividly when I finally like, like did it and got where it was more than just one rotation. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think I'm probably prouder of that than most, most (laughs) things I have done in my life to be perfectly honest with you. So, uh, I think I I say good on you. Thanks, Micah. And Durang, See, this is what I this is what I needed back then. I needed yeah, everything. Thirty years later, Dre, uh, if you would like to learn to juggle uh, after this, uh, you know, when we finish recording, Dan and I will will show you how. Great, and then uh, we can put the performance online, and that can be my best performance. There you go, and also most embarrassing moment, <laughs> all in one. All right, number three. Tell us. Speaking of that, your most embarrassing camp moment. I feel like I already just went. I already went there. I feel like that, it doesn't get it. That was like mortifying, you know, right there. And by the way, just in case anyone is wondering, I'm referring to the kiss, not the juggling. But the juggling is right there. Um, trying to think. I, I mean, I'm not super easily embarrassed, but I feel like I probably was back then. But the only thing that really comes to mind is that I remember because I have an unusual and challenging name. I remember the guys in one of the cabins would make up names for me all the time. This was at Jacob's. 
And so like, it would be like geriatric or like <laughs> anything to like play with Jure and like some variation. But the one I remember, like, cause we were, you know, 11, 12, I don't remember exactly how old we were, but one of them kept calling me lingerie. And I don't think I even knew what lingerie was at the time, but I remember knowing that it was like vaguely related to sex and being like, so embarrassed and like <laughs> mortified that anyone would ever call me something like that. So it's not that in retrospect, it's not that embarrassing, but the time humiliating. I thought you were going to say your most embarrassing moment. Cause it technically was at camp was when my dad busted us. I wanted to say that, but it wasn't when I didn't know if it count. So Macy walked in on Mike and I making out when we were like seniors in high school, we were there for nifty. I don't think we were there for, we weren't there for camp or was it dream street. It was a dream street. No, that is my most embarrassing moment at camp when your father walked in on us. That was a great, great day in the camp office, right? Yeah, in the staff lounge. Also, like, what a very select few people can actually say that they were walked in by their parents at summer camp. Like, that's that's the one thing you mostly just don't have to worry about. My recollection is, is not that he walked in on us, just that we were, like, I mean, we were leaving the staff lounge, and as we were walking out the door, and it was just the two of us, and all the lights are off, he was walking in. And so it was sort of like... I think right, that is correct. Yeah. I, well, there's only one thing that's possibly like, going really on here. horizontal, but you're right. Like, yeah. that's not what happened. Yeah. But my memory, it's like, makes it worse than it actually was, and we were fully horizontal on the couch, and, and Macy, like, flicked the lights on. Yeah. All right, number five. Uh, what is your most cherished camp possession, and do you still have it? I mean, I, I want to say... Your uh, wife does not count. So my <laughs> wife does not count. Yes, my wife. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go there. That's fine. Uh, no, I think... So my... Um, for, you know, obviously every session... I don't know if they did this at, at Jacob's as well, but we had, like, session T-shirts, right, that you'd get every summer for your session. And then the Avoda and CI T-shirts so were, um, you know, each of those sessions had their shirts and then you would bring them back every year for, for a countdown. And, you know, most people I think at camp would say like their CIT shirt is their most valued possession simply because of sort of like the status that it imbued and then like the, the memories that that sort of represents. And I think for me, actually it was my, when I helped run the Avada program, which was, so I should note, cause I don't know if this exists everywhere else, but at Swig and Newman, there was this program called Avodah, which means work in Hebrew. And basically, it was like the biggest racket ever that they got kids to pay to go to camp to do chores all day long uh, for the entire summer. And I got to be like the counselor for the guys in that program one summer. And another good friend of mine was the counselor for the girls. And, you know, there were like 15 kids that summer. But that summer was absolutely the most fun summer I ever had at camp. And it was partially because it was this like really small group of kids that we were working with. They were awesome. They and we we got to sort of because it was a small group and because they were essentially free labor, we were able to get away with anything like we could do anything we wanted. And I just remember like every step of the way, my co-counselor and I just like pushing the bounds as far as we could. And so that summer like really st- like is stuck in my mind as like that was the pinnacle of camp. And it's funny to say that given that we really were doing like chores around <laughs> camp all summer, but it was great. 
And so that shirt is like I, I that shirt is definitely my prized possession and I don't have it. I've lost it like somewhere along the way. It's really like makes me sad that I don't have it. It's sad. So do you remember um, Safi shorts, which were like elastic waist, cotton shorts that they were like cheerleading shorts. They were like gym shorts. But Michael like, wore those all the time. Yeah, right? all yeah. the time. And I went Talking to about camp, like umbros like that? But not umbros. Umbros are like plastic and okay. these were like cotton, but similar. Okay. And we, I mean, I, I had umbros too. I had them both. But I, the first summer I went to camp, I didn't have softy shorts. I didn't know that that was like the cool thing to have. And I remember being like so mortified that I had just like regular shorts and like didn't really fit in. And I just remember that someone, and I honestly, I wish I could remember who, someone at the end of the summer gave me their softy shorts and I wore them like nonstop, like every minute I could, I like every warm day, like I wore them nonstop for years and years and years. I had them for a really long time, but you know, that was 20 something years ago. So they are no longer in my possession. But I love those damn shorts. You said something that reminded me of, of something else, but I don't remember what it is. So we will move your on. Umbros, your umbros and your shower shoes. That's what I remember most about <laughs> what the boys at camp wore. That's pretty much it. Just umbros yep. and shower shoes. That's, uh, All the time. <laughs> it's a good day. If you can just wear umbros and shower shoes, uh, it's, it's probably a good day. Um, all right. Well, we will close with uh, Bitches and Roses, a.k.a. Roses and Thorns, a.k.a. Coals and Diamonds, a.k.a. Strawberries and Lemons. Chance to say one good thing and one bad thing that is going on in your lives. Uh, Jere, we'll, uh, we'll start with you. Tell us, uh, what's, your, what's your Bitch and Rose for today? Um, so my thorn is, um, I mean, just the universe right now. Have you read the news in the last few days? It's really terrible. So I wish I had something not so terrible, but um, that would be my, my thorn these days is just opening the newspaper every day and seeing um, which new person has um, disappointed us. And my rose is that I'm heading to New Hampshire tomorrow to spend um, the long weekend with one of my closest friends and to be in the mountains um, and to do some hiking with her. I'm really looking forward to it. Live free or die. Right. That's the right state, isn't it? It is. Okay. Wanna make sure. I think you got that right. Oh, oh, hang on. Wait, I remember my story. And now I have to tell it because it is so embarrassing to me that I feel like I must share it. Um, (laughs) So most cherished uh, cherished camp possessions. My last year as a camper at Gucci, uh, I think about, I honestly think about this memory several times a year. I had a really good friend, uh, Josh Blumenthal, and the last night at camp, he gave me his Chicago Bulls hat, which he was very partial to as like a token of his friendship. And I probably had all kinds of hats that I could have very easily given him one in some sort of exchange, like soccer players do after a match. And I was just like, thanks, man. The end. (laughs) I did not give him anything. And I've always felt like such a jerk because of that. Because that was such a jerk thing to do. Like, why didn't I give him a hat? I liked my hats, I guess. I don't know. Have you had a lot of other situations where somebody has like told you I love you and you respond with thanks? <laughs> I like that I'm thinking about this. Uh, <laughs> no, because I think I hopefully learned my lesson from the bull's hat. I think that bull's hat was a constant reminder that it's nice to reciprocate people's actions when they do something nice for you. See, Josh uh, gave you more than a bull's hat. Yeah, that's right. He really, yeah, he really. Important life lesson. <laughs> 
Josh, honestly, I've really felt bad about it for a long time, so I do apologize. I don't know where that hat is. I might still have it. It's possible. Uh, would you have wanted Rocky and Bullwinkle? I could have given you that one. I probably could have parted with that one. I had a bunch of really crappy Disney hats that I got from God knows where that I wore all the time. I was super cool. Again, I'd just like to point out, not as cool as Sarah thinks I was. Um, okay, sorry. Daniel, let's hear, uh, what's, what do you got? Uh, give us a, a bitch and a rose. So my thorn is that my, my son, after driving all the way down here to my in-laws, uh, showed up sick. Like he got here, we hung out for about half an hour, and then he was sick. So I now get to deal with a, a sick child, which is, is not particularly fun. And his vacation that he was very excited about may not be as fun as he was hoping. Um, and my rose is, it's 85 degrees in San Luis Obispo and I'm here for the next few days. I'm paradise. So I'm very excited to spend the holiday with my family and uh, enjoy the beach. I like to change my thorn to the fact that it's 32 degrees outside in Chicago and has rained all day. Can I do that now? I think so. Really not fair, Daniel. <laughs> these, are, these are life choices that you're making, Trey. <laughs> Fair enough. Dread. I picked poorly. When uh, when California falls off into the ocean, then you can. Uh... I feel much better about my choices. That's true. true. That's right. Um, all right, my uh, my bitch. Um, without uh, meaning to bring it down too much, uh, but I lost my uncle uh, last week, uh, which is very sad. Um, he was a great great uh, man, and uh, you know, my family is somewhat spread out, but uh, we grew up with this particular branch of the family. Um, and, uh, he died way too young and I have now lost in the last five months, my grandfather, my uncle and a first cousin, uh, celebrity deaths. They always say come in threes. So I'm hoping that that will be the case for the Hart family this year. Um, but we were all together at least, uh, for the funeral over this past weekend. And, you know, we were all saying that, uh, we need to find a much happier reason to all get together. Um, but we will miss him very dearly. Um, and then I feel even weirder to then transition to my rose from that, which is uh, the New Orleans Saints are fucking killing it right now, and it is so fun. Um, I, I often say that uh, there's nothing better as a sports fan than success in the absence of any kind of expectations, and the Saints have been shitty for several years, and they looked like they were going to be pretty shitty this year. And they've now won eight straight, and I am absolutely convinced that they're going to win the Super Bowl, uh, and I'm super enjoying it. Uh, and my sons are watching it with me, and they're kind of getting into it too. So uh, it's really fun. Who dat? Go Saints. Um, so as, a, as a Sacramento Kings fan, a live and die Sacramento Kings fan, this is basically the mantra every year going into the year. Like maybe, maybe, maybe they're just not as terrible as I think they are. <laughs> So I'm just waiting. I, I appreciate that you, you've got this experience with the Saints because it gives me a lot of hope. I, I will say there is some truth to the longer the suffering, the better the payoff when it, when it eventually happens. Um, as long as it happens in my lifetime, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, okay, with that, that is our show. Uh, thanks again to Daniel and Jure for joining us. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and any other podcast listening tools you can find. Uh, and if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at Summer Camp Pod, and on Instagram at Campfires and Color Wars. Again, if you want to send us your 
things that you were thankful for from camp or any other guest suggestions or camp memories you want to share, you may email us at summercamppod at gmail.com or you can contact us through social media. And Daniel, if people want to find you on the internet somehow, how can they, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Get me on, on Twitter at, at Spirit Danimal. Nice. Solid handle. Um, and uh, Dre? Uh, Good luck finding me. <laughs> International Woman of Mystery. <laughs> uh, I do want to say, uh, with all sincerity, uh, Dre is instrumental uh, in making this podcast happen behind the scenes. So, Dre, thank you very much for all the time oh, that you I- willingly give. Uh, I... I anxiously await the day where you're like god not this again but uh but so far you put up with me so i appreciate it um if you want to find me online you can find me on twitter at micah hart and i perhaps will moonlight again on instagram if i can find my password uh making fun of my favorite game words with friends at rejected wwf uh thanks again to dan and jure uh for talking about camp newman and uh, we will link in the show notes. Again, devastating what happened, but glad to have you guys on to talk about it a little bit. And hopefully we can uh, do our part to, uh, to get people back. And, and also, I guess I meant to mention this as well. Newman uh, has a home for next summer. Is that right? That is correct. Newman by the Bay, I think I saw was Newman what it's called. Newman by the Bay, yeah. They've, uh, they found another location. It was kind of a... I mean, I, I give the staff a huge amount of credit that they were able to pull this together. I mean, in the span of a couple of weeks following the fire, they were able to find a location and open registration. And um, sort of everything I'm hearing is registration is going very, very strong. And if people want to make donations or support Camp Newman in any way, um, their website is campnewman.org. Um, and on the landing page, there's a link to, to donate in response to the fires. Yeah, so uh, so go do that. Help the people out at... Uh, at Camp Newman, um, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll be back, back up and running in their in their original location with uh, more up-to-date buildings, I guess, at least. Uh, you know, something positive to take out of it. Um, but uh, with that, we will say goodnight and see you next time on Campfires and Color Wars. Don't waste a minute, Jure. Don't waste a minute, Micah. Don't waste a minute, Daniel. Thanks for the hat, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna, be, that's gonna be the new new closing line for the podcast thanks for that josh <laughs> why didn't i give him a hat like it, it haunts me <laughs> what a jerk happiness runs in a circular motion thought is like a little boat upon the sea everybody is a part of everything anyway you can have everything if you let yourself be